If you're ready to gain a lifetime of real estate secrets in just minutes a day, then this podcast is for you. For the past 40 years, Dolph DeRoos, the king of commercial real estate, has helped thousands of new and experienced investors turn properties into cash and dreams into reality. If you're ready to make more money, do bigger deals, and reach greater levels of wealth through real estate, then we have exactly what you need on Buy Big with Dolph DeRoos. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the King of Commercial Real Estate. And we have our amazing, our amazing mentor, Dolph DeRoos, in the house. How are you doing, Dolph? I'm great, Marjorie. How are you today? Super duper. And we're really excited about this topic. We've been getting some questions about uh, real estate, commercial real estate to be specific, because people are really interested in investing in that. But uh, for someone that is coming from a really basic level of uh, real estate, how can we get started into this game? So the first question that uh, we got on social media was, how did you do it for educating yourself on commercial real estate? What are some of the resources that you used? Well, there are two main things, Marjorie. Firstly, I think people should read more. We don't read much. In fact, the number of bookstores in this country has fallen from about 46,000 when oh, we wow. had Walden Books and Borders and Barnes and Nobles down to something like six and a half thousand. So go into a bookstore, go online and find some books on commercial real estate. There's a saying that you'll never learn less. Um, I don't think there's such a thing as a bad book on real estate. There are good books and there are better books, but you, you, know, you won't unlearn something or you won't get confused. You've got to know the difference between collateral and equity. And it's pretty easy to learn the difference. And once you know it, you'll never unlearn it. You'll never forget what it is. But you need to know that. You need to understand some of the fundamental rules about commercial real estate. And I'm happy to delve into some of them. You know, one of them is that with residential, a common formula is that the return, sometimes it's called the ROI, return on investment. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's called the yield. But the return is essentially the rental income divided by the purchase price of the property. So if you buy a property for $100,000 and the rental per year is 10,000, then the return is 10%. So you need to know that. And a formula that is more commonly used in commercial real estate is that the value of a commercial building equals the rental income divided by the cap rate. Now, some people are gonna say, there it goes already, it's getting confusing. <laughs> well, if you're confused by the word cap rate, don't forget, when you're born, your brain is like a hard drive that is blank. It's got no words in it. You don't even know yet whether you're going to be speaking English or French or German or <laughs> Japanese or whatever. And then you hear sounds around you that eventually think, well, they seem to be emanating from big babies who also <laughs> feed me. And then you started noticing that when someone says, pass me this button, that someone else passes this whatever thing, and it's a button, and you start to learn what the words mean. So when you don't understand a word and you're a baby, you, you learn it. So when you don't know what cap rate is, find out what it is. And I'll tell you right now, cap rate is short for capitalization rate. Mm -hmm. It literally means the rate at which you capitalize the rental income to arrive at the value. Mm -hmm. So the value of a commercial building equals the rental income divided by the cap rate. And you know, if you didn't know what a cap rate was before and you've got an inkling at least that the word exists now, then you're already better off than you were four minutes ago. So get some books on commercial real estate. That's one thing to do. The other thing, I said there were two things. The other thing that is crucial, and most people are too scared to do this, is start looking at commercial real estate. I know you're going to say, but I don't know what I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to look like a fool when I go to an agent and I say, I want to buy a commercial property. And he says, okay, what sort of things are you looking for? And you're going to say, um, something with a roof. <laughs> it doesn't matter. When you buy your first car, do you know the difference between a clutch or 
I guess there aren't any clutches here. They're all automatic cars. But the gear shift lever and the indicator stick or the turn signal stick, you don't know any. You have to learn that. You have to learn somewhere. When you look at, when you go out into the field, you found the listing online, you've gone to an agent or a buddy of yours says, oh, I found this property, let's look at it together. And you go and look, you'll learn infinite things about it that you didn't know you didn't know. So you'll learn about commercial leases and how they really are the centerpiece of a commercial real estate transaction. That without a lease, the property is not worth much, but with a good quality lease to a good tenant, like a government tenant, mm -hmm. That's a really coveted thing. Why are government tenants so good? Because if the government doesn't pay the rent, you've got more problems than not collecting your rent. Your country's going bankrupt. Oh, wow. And that's why people are willing to pay a premium to buy a building that is leased by a government department. Hmm. Therefore, the cap rates will be lower. Everyone mm. thinks they should be higher. No, a lower cap rate means that for a given amount of income, people are willing to pay more money for it. They're willing to accept mm. a lower return. So cap rates on Wall Street, which is probably the most coveted real estate in the world for commercial property, they can be as low as one and a half or 2%, depending mm. on the economy. In other words, people are willing to spend 50 times the rental income to buy that rental income. Oh, wow. Whereas if you're in the backwaters of nowhere and you've got a podunk town, I won't mention any because invariably someone listening will say, well, I'm from there. How dare you insult it? <laughs> but at some point, the cap rate might be 20%, meaning people are only willing to pay five times the rental income to buy that instead of 50 mm. times. So that's really how commercial real estate is evaluated. And um, it just, it, it's this really easy thing to learn. Again, I keep bringing it back to what I spent eight years at university studying electrical engineering. The effort required to get a PhD in electrical engineering is infinitely greater. Well, infinite's a big number, but it's <laughs> vastly greater than the effort required to learn all you need to learn to be a really successful and wealthy commercial real estate investor. And yet people still don't do it. The funny thing I feel like is that um, we already are going to elementary school, so many years of high school, and it we already took the time to learn those things by researching and also doing our homework. I feel like with real estate, especially commercial real estate, it's the same. Like as long as you are willing to do your research and invest the time on learning, you're more than able to do a good deal and find a good deal and also fund it. Well, I would go beyond that. I would say, why do we spend 14 years at school, kindergarten, junior, middle school, high school, learning things that will be of no value that you can look up on the internet? Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter had to learn the capitals of all the states oh. and the names of the rivers in Canada going from left to right or west to east or whatever. Why? You can look that up. And anyone who learned those things, if you ask them now, they probably don't remember. And what consequence? But they didn't teach our kids how to balance a checkbook. You know, in fact, checks aren't used that much, but how to balance a bank account or how to figure out how much you've got there or how to make a transaction. The things that I think would be really useful, they don't teach. Because I think what's going on is... In school, we're taught skills that you can use in a job mm. to swap time for money. And why are we taught those things? Because school teachers, by definition, have a job. They are already people who swap time for money. And school teachers are a great crowd. I'm not dissing on them at all. I love them. Some of them have done great jobs and service and all that. But by the nature of how they got to be school teachers, they tend to propagate what they know, which is how to have a job. So they teach our kids how to have jobs instead of how to get passive income. 
In fact, that reminds me, Maitri, of mm-hmm. a, an incident with my own daughter. I hope she doesn't oh. mind me relating this, but um, <laughs> she must have been five or six, and she got it in her head that she wanted a gumball machine. You know what a gumball oh. machine is. You yeah. put a coin in, usually a quarter, and you twist this handle, and this gumball, a hard piece of candy or a lolly, it's called in some parts of the world, goes rolling around the spiral thing, and it's this visually stimulating things for kids, yeah. and then it comes out, and you can eat the gumball. Uh-huh. So she said, Dad, I want a gumball machine. And in a fit of and not really thinking things through very much, apparently I said, well, if ever we find one, we can get it. So a number of years roll by. We're driving in the car, and I see an open home sign. They're selling the house. I say, oh, there's a house for sale. Let's have a look. And she's about eight by now, and she says something like, oh, not another house. <laughs> That's what happens when you have kids and you're a real estate investor and you look at a lot of real estate and your kids can't understand why. They think it's just another silly house you're looking at. So I said, oh, come on, it'll be fun. So she reluctantly came along. Well, not only were they selling the house, Marjorie, but they were selling the contents as well, right? Many people do that. They're changing city or country or whatever, so they sell everything. And at one stage, my daughter comes running to me and says, Dad, Dad, they're selling a gumball machine. And I said, well, that's nice. And she said, no, but Dad, remember... You said that if ever we find one, we can buy it. Ooh. <laughs> I know. I well. said, I said that? She said, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a note for our listeners and viewers. I'm the parent, right? Mm-hmm. She's the mere kid. Just because I said something years ago, does that mean I have to do it? Hmm. Well, integrity. Yes. It comes back to integrity, <clears throat> Marjorie. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. How can we expect our kids to have and display integrity when we don't have it with them? So when I said, did I say that? And she said, yes. I said, we better find out what they're asking for it. So I Mm. turned to the guy selling the house and the contents. And I said, I hear you're selling a gumball machine. And he said, where's your accent from? (laughs) And I said, I don't have an accent. You all have an accent. It's called an American accent, right? And he laughed. And he said, where are you from? I said, I'm from New Zealand originally. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm in, in real estate. He said, residential? I said, no, commercial. Hmm. He said, why don't you come back tomorrow morning and we'll have a coffee? Hmm. So I said, all right, I'll bring the biscuits. And he said, what are they? And I said, they're cookies. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we came back the next morning and he had this gumball machine with a red mm. ribbon around it and oh, he wow. gave it to my daughter. Now, full disclosure, I have a suspicion he knew who I was and he was trying to ingratiate me somehow so that I might be induced to buy this house of his. But be that as it may, he gave the gumball machine to my daughter. Uh So we struggled to get it in the car, not because our car was so small, but because the gumball machine was so big. But we managed to get it in. And then as we were driving home, I said to my daughter, I said, you know, honey, there there are three things we can do with this gumball machine. And she looked at me as if to say, what do you mean? I said, well, he gave it to you, so it's yours. So the first thing we could do is we could sell it on, say, eBay, and then whatever it generates in revenue, it's yours. She said, but Dad, don't make me sell it. I've always wanted a gumball machine. What's the second thing? I said, well, we could fill it with gumballs, and then every day you'd have four or five of them, and we could make both you and the dentist very happy. And she looked at me and said, I kind of like that idea, but I get the feeling you don't. You know, What's the third option? I said, well, option three is that we find a place where we can put this on location and then every week you and I will go there, we'll replenish the gumballs that have been sold, we'll collect the money, the quarters from the sale of gumballs, we'll share some of those quarters with the owner of the premises because he contributes to you being able to, and you'll have your first form of passive income. 
And my daughter said, well, I still like option number two, but I get the feeling that option number three is the one we might end up going for. But what a way of teaching kids about passive income and making it exciting. That's awesome. And she still has the gumball machine then? She still has the gumball oh, wow. machine. And now she has it on location, not for the revenue it generates, mm. because you've got to believe me, a quarter at a time doesn't, in fact, she just had to buy a new box of gumballs, which she got from Costco and she buys 850 of them <laughs> for $33. So you can work it out. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, I think, three or four cents a gumball and she sells them mm. for 25 cents. So the profit margin is huge, right? Right. But it's still small time when you add mm -hmm. in the gas to go there and collect the coins and the $3 parking fee to park near this venue. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it's the principle of it. That's right. And what a great way of teaching passive income. And my point is, why doesn't every classroom have a gumball machine or something like that? And they all go out and they put it on location somewhere. Mm -hmm. And each week, a different kid, it's their turn to go and collect the money and replenish the gum. But that would teach them about passive income instead of swapping time for money. That's right. And I feel like um, for all our audience that are listening to us, um, you don't have to be scared of starting investing. Because literally your daughter, she was so little and she started collecting passive income at that age. So for all of you guys that are listening to us, don't be afraid of starting in the game of commercial real estate. Just start looking, just as Dolph said, and start doing your research so you can start on this. Also, speaking about real estate, uh, you mentioned that there were different types that you were looking at um, and that when we go to a, an, an agent or a broker, they may offer us different types of buildings. So how can we find the type of building that is more tailored to what we want to invest on? Well, that, that's a, a grand question. It's a question with big scope because there are so many different classifications of commercial real estate. Residential is sort of a very narrow classification. It's where people have residences, their homes. Now, I know there are many different kinds of homes. You might have a single bedroom studio style unit or an eight bedroom, seven bathroom mansion and everything <laughs> in between and even other extremes. You've got airstreams that can be used as accommodation units and some people are using them as um, auxiliary dwelling units on properties oh, and wow. on and on it goes. But residential is pretty narrow. It's where people live. Mm -hmm. Whereas commercial real estate, we all tend to think of offices. There's mm -hmm. office space and it's had a bit of a bad rap recently with the pandemic that's been doing the rounds. You've got retail. Retail also seems to be caving in and uh, shoppers are going towards the online shopping environment rather mm -hmm. than retail stores. Although I think there'll be a bit of a resurgence now. So that's two categories, but then you've got storage facilities and hospitals and hotels and motels and car repair, uh, repair places, you know, collision repair outfits. Sometimes they're called special repairs or panel beaters or whatever. Um, you've got telephone exchanges. It's all commercial. Mm -hmm. Any property that is governed by a commercial lease is in that category of commercial real estate. So you're absolutely right, Marjorie. There are so many different categories. Mm -hmm. You could try and look at them all, but how would you understand what makes a good telephone exchange when that industry is changing? We're going to smaller and smaller electronics, what used to take right. massive buildings with mechanical click, 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 click things as you use the old rotary dialers mm -hmm. for those who are old enough to have seen a movie where there was a rotary phone. <laughs> We've gone to digital phones and now it's even That's cell right. phones and all that sort of thing. So everything changes all the time. Um, so I'm not saying there is one particular category you should look at. I started looking at everything, just mm. whatever I came across. That was, and you soon found something that had an oddball nature to it. <clears throat> so I'll give you an example of a, a weird one. When I was, um, this is, gosh, three or four decades ago now, but I came across a building which was a funeral parlor. Oh. Now, what happens in a funeral parlor? Well, they process bodies there that are no longer breathing. Mm. 
And it's, you know, when you think about it in too much detail, it's not a particularly pleasant thought. They <laughs> shove hollow stainless steel tubes inside these bodies and drain all the blood out and re replace it with formaldehyde. Mm -hmm. And um, this is all for good reason. And um, they dress them up there. They put smiles on their faces. There are chilling rooms and viewing rooms and slumber rooms and an extra long garage so that a hearse, which is already a long vehicle, can be inside the garage and they can pull a long coffin out the rear end. And it's all under cover so that when it's raining, the recently departed doesn't get wet. Right. Um, so it, when you think of it in those terms, it's kind of, ooh, it's a bit icky, and who wants to focus too much on that? But the building had been vacant for three years. It had mm. gone up for auction. It had failed to meet the reserve, which means it didn't reach the minimum price that they wanted for it, and it was still on the market. And my question to you is, what would you have done with this vacant funeral parlor that had been vacant for three years? Ooh. The market had shown that there wasn't a buyer for it. Oh, wow, yeah, that makes it a little bit tricky because you would have to tailor that building to a specific clients that may want to lease that building. You mean a client other than a funeral director? Uh, probably someone in the same field, I would say. Probably, yes. Yeah. I mean, it'd be awkward turning it into something like a restaurant. I, I know. Think, you know. <laughs> um, so here's what I did. I did not buy the building in the hope that I could find a tenant oh. because what if I couldn't? Right. But I did employ someone at the then going hourly rate, which at the time was $8 an hour, to phone every funeral director going further and further away from this building. Now, she caught a lot of flack because they'd say, how did you get my number? Take me off your list. Or don't you ever oh. dare call me again. But her spiel was, her pitch was, there's this vacant funeral building that's custom made as a funeral parlor. Is there any um, desire to operate here? And at the end of the second day, it was right at the end of the second day, she came someone who, across someone who said, oh, yes, I've always wanted to operate here. And mm. at that stage, she said, well, let me put you on to Dolph. So I got on the phone and I said, listen, there's a vacant funeral parlor for sale. Mm. If you want to buy it, buy it. Now, why would I offer it to him when I want to buy the building and be the mm. investor? And my answer is the last thing I want, Marjorie, is to have a tenant who begrudges the fact that he pays me rent every month only because I beat him to it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want a relationship like that. But I knew that in all probability, and in this case, I was right, that he didn't want to buy the building. He probably didn't have the capital. He had no interest in owning the real estate. And as he told me, he said, no, I know how to run a funeral parlor business. I want to lease the building from someone. And then, you know, we, I said, okay, we'll go and take a look at the building. And if you like it, we might be able to do a deal. So he went and looked at it and he called me back and he said, oh, it's perfect. It's got everything I need. I love it. What can we do to go ahead with this? And I said, well, here's the deal. Um, let's write up an LOI, a letter of intent. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's called a heads of agreement. Mm -hmm. And this is a document where subject to me buying the building, he will become the tenant. Okay. In other words, if I buy the building, he's a tenant guaranteed for me. But if I don't manage to buy the building through no fault of mine, then we don't owe each other anything. Mm -hmm. And he said he's willing to do that. But he did say, not so fast, Sonny Jim. He actually used mm -hmm. those words. Not so fast, Sonny Jim. I'll only do it if you give me a long-term lease. Oh. Now, you think about it. With residential property, a typical tenancy agreement is 12 months. Occasionally, that two years, but not very often. Very commonly, it's a year. And then the idea is that you renew it year by year. But what usually happens is there's a clause in a residential tenancy agreement where if it's not renewed, then it automatically goes month to month. Mm. And I find more often than not for many smaller landlords, people who are starting out in the game or they have one or two or five or six properties, their yearly renewals 
get forgotten about and it goes month to month. And what's the difference? Because if the tenant's going to leave, they're going to leave anyway. And you get a new tenant because it's a good market out there right now. So that's what happens on the residential side. But with commercial, tenants tend to want longer leases, right? In the city of London, which is separate from London itself, but in the city of London, lease lengths typically were 25 years. Now they've been scaled back to about 15 years. Um, on most of my commercial leases, people sign up for six years, sometimes eight years, occasionally four years, but they want longer leases. So this guy said, I'll only do it if you give me a long-term lease. Mm. Now, this is good. That's you don't great. get that with residential. Mm-hmm. Now, in one of my books, Real Estate Riches, I talk about eight golden rules. And one of the golden rules, Marjorie, is never be the first to name a figure because that person usually always loses. That's right. What do I mean by that? You and I want to, you, you're selling something to me, a bag, and I'm buying a mm. bag, and I know that I'm willing to go up to $20 on that bag, and you'll accept as little as $4. So who do you think is going to win? The person who names the figure first? If I say, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you I'm willing to go to 20. That's my, I said, I'm willing to go to 10. You would have accepted four. You right. say, okay, how about 12? And we've got a deal and I might do it. On the other hand, if you were to say, well, I'm not going to tell him that I'll, I'll accept four. Mm-hmm. I'll pretend I'll, I'll go down to eight. <laughs> and you'll say, well, how about eight? I'll say, well, that's a bit expensive. How about six? And we might do a deal. So the first person to name a figure usually loses. So I would have been happy with a five-year lease on this funeral parlor. But fortunately, I didn't say that. How about five? I said, just how long do you want? And he said, I'll only do it if you give me 10 years with a right of renewal for another 10 years. Oh, wow. Well, in the bank's eyes, rights of renewals are usually included in the lease term Mm -hmm. for their mental calculation anyway. So he was signing up for 20 years. Oh, wow. This is good. But it's another advantage of commercial real estate. So... We signed the heads of agreement. I went ahead and had a crack at buying the building. I managed to buy it. He became the tenant. He was very happy about being the tenant in this building. I was very happy about being the landlord. Now, if you'd asked me a week before I came across this funeral parlor, what sort of commercial real estate are you looking for? I don't think in a million years of Sundays, I would have said, (laughs) you know what? I'm going to go after places where they process dead bodies. I just, it wouldn't have occurred to me. But there are so many categories. I think it's fair to say with just about every commercial building I own, perhaps other than office space and retail, which is pretty easy to dream up, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought that I'd end up owning them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so, just go out there and look at anything that's got a commercial lease. By commercial lease, it's not regulated by residential tenancy acts or laws or bills or whatever that they have around the world. Residential is quite tough. We all know that here in America, Mm -hmm. in California, for instance, if a tenant, a residential tenant, doesn't pay the rent, you can't take action for 90 days. And the assumption is it's not the poor, unsuspecting, kind, friendly, sweet, innocent tenant that he can't pay the rent. It's not his fault. Mm -hmm. It's the fault of those rapacious, racketeering, money-hungry landlords. (laughs) And it's the society they've created that's probably caused the, the kind tenant not to be able to pay the rent in the first place. And the fact that the landlord can afford the building means he shouldn't have to get the rent because he'll still survive. Mm-hmm. So let's have a law where if you can't pay the rent, you've got 90 days grace before you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And why do laws like this get passed? In my humble view, it's that there are simply more tenant voters than landlord voters. That's right. right. So there's the saying that anyone can get elected so long as the number of voters that you promise an ice cream to is larger <laughs> than the number of voters that you have to tax to pay for all the ice creams. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at it in that light, you suddenly start to say, hmm, that kind of makes sense. 
So, that's not the case with commercial real estate in this. And case. that's the point. Mm-hmm. Even in a tough state like California, they don't have rules. The, the government tends not to stick its nose into commercial transactions because our economy is based on commerce, right? So we need commerce to flow. So um, most commercial leases state that if the rent's not paid by the due date, there'll be a penalty of X percent, and then there'll be interest charge at the rate of 1% per month or whatever it is, which gets added on. And many jurisdictions allow you to what's called distrain for rent, which means if the tenant hasn't paid after a certain period of time, you can seize the premises again. Now, you can't seize any of their stuff. That's called kidnapping or Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> um, holding against their will or whatever, mm-hmm. but you can seize the premises, change the locks, right. and their plant and equipment, their inventory, their stock, their supplies. They it. Well, you have to then sell it under certain mm-hmm. prescribed conditions, put it up for public auction, certain minimum number of ads, minimum days before the auction, minimum ad size, and the proceeds can go to paying off the backlog of rent and then any penalty interest and any interest on that. And if there's any surplus after that, it has to go back to the tenant. Mm-hmm. But you never have to do I've never done that because the tenants know that you can do that. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a tenant who leases the house he lives in and the office he works out of, and he has enough money for one of them but not both, he'll pay the commercial rent and not the, the residential one because, you know, the landlord can't do much anyway. That's right. So it's just another one of the many, many advantages of commercial real estate that it tends to be more fluid. Also... With commercial tenants, they earn their income on the premises. So they have a vested interest in keeping it looking good. Mm -hmm. They will do things to improve the building for you. And they will definitely try to keep that same location as much as they can because probably their uh, customers are used to it as well. Well, it's a very good point. Um, The the official word for that is goodwill. There's a certain Mm -hmm. element of goodwill that's built up when a client base knows that their, their whatever health provider mm-hmm. operates out of a certain premise. Many people, when they go and see their doctor or their dentist or even a store where they buy supplies, they won't know the street address, they won't know the number or the street is on, mm-hmm. but they know how to get there. Right. So many commercial tenants experience the fact that when they relocate, they lose a chunk of their client base mm-hmm. because they don't know where to go anymore. They arrive at the old premises, they see closed or torn down or a new operator there in a different industry and they say oh gosh they've gone they never told me and then they do a google search for a similar business nearby which may not be the new location so many of these commercial tenants want to stay for a long time that's why the most frequent call i get from my commercial tenants is Dolph, can i please get a five-year extension on the lease (laughs) and i'll look it up and i say but hang on a minute you've still got four years left to run on your current lease And then they say, yeah. Anyway, getting back to the question, Mm -hmm. can I please get a five-year extension on the lease? Why do they want a five-year extension when they've still got four years to run? And it's that magic thing you brought up. It's called goodwill. Even if they want to sell their business, Marjorie, Mm -hmm. they want a longer lease rather than a short lease. Because if you're selling a business that you run and there's only three months left on the lease, what's the first question that a potential buyer is going to ask? well, is there any chance of extending the lease? Mm -hmm. Because the last thing he wants to do is pay big dollars to buy a business that has to shut down in three months. Mm -hmm. So this thing about getting a long lease, it's so crucial. And the value of a building, as we said early on, the value of a commercial building is the rental income divided by the cap rate. Mm -hmm. And that gets destroyed if your rent gets turned off because the lease expires. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, I really appreciate how you uh, always shared your views on commercial real estate. And I feel like for everyone that is looking at a different type of investment, 
take your chance on commercial because commercial sounds like a really good way to get the financial freedom that you're looking for and also be able to be sure that you will always have a tenant that is responsible and that will keep um, giving you that income, that passive income that you already have. That's so true. Thank, Thank you so much. Though. You're so welcome. We truly appreciate that. And I feel like this also gives our audience more hopes and when starting into commercial real estate because now they know all the many benefits that commercial real estate has for them. Thank you so much again, Dolph. My pleasure. Thank you to our audience and stay tuned for our next episode.